This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Nightlight has partnered with Fan Roll Dice by Metallic Dice Games to offer an exclusive discount on one of their gorgeous dice sets that we've fallen in love with because of their satisfying weight and, let's just be honest, sparklies not to mention their impeccably constructed dice accessories. In one word, velvet. Visit fanrolldice.com, that's F-A-N-R-O-L-L-D-I-C-E dot com, and use our discount code NIGHTLIGHT for 10% off any new additions to your dice hoard. A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to fanrolldice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. Hi, I'm Tanya Thompson, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales from Black writers all over the world. This week, we have a story from Tahisha Green. Tahisha writes horror, fantasy, and science fiction, and sometimes dabbles in other genres. She began writing poetry as a child and ventured into fiction years later. She enjoys writing both novels and short stories, and her work has appeared in Necrotic Tissue, Lightspeed, and Nightmare Magazines. Before we get into today's episode, I have a couple of reminders for you. First, Nightlight is 100% listener-supported, so if you want to help keep Nightlight going, remember to go to patreon.com slash nightlightpod to join the Nightlight Legion, or you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash nightlightpodcast. I would like to thank our newest patrons, Christopher and Tatisha. Tatisha went above and beyond, so thank you so much for that. She was having trouble with Patreon, and she went to PayPal instead and still made her donation, so thank you so much for going the extra mile for us. I'd also like to remind you that our Horror Writers Workshop starts on June 21st. It's 99 bucks, and you'll learn the ins and outs of great horror storytelling, plus you'll get a story or chapter critique from a professional story editor as well as your peers. You'll learn to hook readers with a compelling beginning, nail a great ending, and build so much tension in between that your readers will be ready to snap. Go to bit.ly slash nightlightworkshop to join today before all the spots are taken. So back to this week's story. I love a good story about a strained relationship, especially one with a twist and in the beginning delivers on both counts. What would it take to make you abandon your partner? What would you do for them? How much pain would you endure? This story asks that and a lot more. So sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy In the Beginning by Tahisha Green. Marty leered and her heart beat loudly in her ears. She moved the broccoli around on her plate. She never liked it. Really didn't care for any food as of late. But Marty made her eat even when she didn't want to. He made her do a lot of things she didn't want to do lately. You need to eat something, Sophie, he said, chewing his steak and pointing his fork at her. You're going to get sick if you don't eat nothing. Sophie avoided eye contact with him. 
I, I'm not that hungry. Her mouth grew dry with anticipation. He pounded his fist on the table, rattling the vase in the center of it, along with their plates. Damn it, it's not a request. With her hands shaking violently, Sophie lifted her fork and forced the vegetables into her dry mouth and chewed. Bile rose in her throat. Not because of the taste, but because of everything. The rest of the meal followed. None of the food stayed in her mouth long enough for her to taste it. She just wanted dinner over with. For the past couple months, Marty had been doing everything out of character. As if he had suffered some sort of mental breakdown. No longer the Marty who bought her flowers, took her out of town on romantic getaways, or even the Marty who made love to her. Sophie thought she'd be the one who'd go nuts around that time since she turned 60 and was diagnosed with menopause. No. This Marty didn't allow her to see her daughter Sally or her grandchildren who lived only a few miles away. Her son Stephen was stationed in Germany and lived there with his wife and children. When Stephen would call, Marty wouldn't allow him to speak to her. He would just say Sophie was sick or would tell him some other lie. Life beyond her front door was no longer an option. Glimpses of daylight only came in through the windows. Marty rarely had visitors of his own anymore and didn't go hunting or fishing at all, even though his friends begged him to. Church friends stopped by to see them and he would just shoo them away or tell them to mind their own business. The farm they lived on was small, but adequate. The closest neighbor lived about three miles away. Marty earned a decent enough income over the years for them to enjoy their lives and provide for their children. The horses, three of them, shared a nice stable that Marty and his friend James Mack had built a few years back. Sophie had been accustomed to feeding all the farm animals until the change in Marty. After dinner, she got up, put her plate in the sink, and tried to bask in what was left of the sunlight through the kitchen window. She glanced over at the back door in the rear of the kitchen. What are you thinking about? Marty asked, his hot breath on her neck. I miss going outside, being with friends and, and family, Marty, she cried. I miss the animals? She turned to face him. Why are you doing this to me? He grabbed her by the elbow. It's for your own good, Sophie. You can't take care of yourself anymore. What do you mean? She sucked in a huge gulp of air, hoping she hadn't upset him. Although he never struck her, she wasn't about to see if something could change that. I've taken wonderful care of you and the kids, she whispered. Yeah, yeah, you did, he nodded. But, but what? She looked directly into his eyes, crow's feet gathered at the corners of them. There was some warmth in their depths, but weariness more than anything else greeted her. He rubbed the side of her face with the back of his hand. His fingers felt like sandpaper on her skin. Please. You should have listened to me before, he said as he led her up the stairs to the bedroom he set her up in. Now, everything is ruined. Sophie didn't know what he meant. It was too emotionally drained to ask. Ten brand new locks lined the new steel door he put in. Three weeks ago, he told her she needed her own space and put her in Sally's old room. He didn't trust her while he slept because he told her she might try to run. Anytime he needed supplies from town, he'd lock her up until he got back. And when he was there, he'd let her out, sometimes during the day, but mostly for meals. But at night, always at night, 
she'd be locked in the room until the morning. The big, heavy door looked out of place in between the white wooden doors of the other bedrooms, which were covered with peeling paint. If she didn't escape soon, she felt sure he'd end up killing her. He shoved her into the room without so much as a goodbye. After he slammed the door shut, she heard the faint clattering of all the latches, snaps, and bolts. Sighing, she walked into the bathroom and grabbed some tissue for her eyes and nose. At least he considered her need to wash and use the toilet. A nightgown with some underwear lay across the hard oak bedpost. Her once-loving husband laid out her clothes for her every day. An outfit for the next day sat on the dresser. What was the point? She wasn't allowed to go anywhere. Marty never left any clothes in the drawers or anywhere she had access to, for fear she'd run off. What if he didn't realize she could run away wearing the very clothes she had on? Barring the bubble bath she adored so much, she had what she needed to bathe herself satisfactorily. A bar of soap sat on the sink along with the toothpaste and floss. She didn't bother looking in the mirror before she turned on the shower. Huge bags weren't something she preferred to see. Last time she looked in the mirror, a black eye stared back at her and she cried. She and Marty had struggled when she tried to make a run for it the first night he locked her in the room. He didn't strike her, but when he pulled her toward him, she turned and jerked away and went face first into the corner of the doorframe, banging her eye. He apologized repeatedly and she took advantage of the situation by running again. He grabbed her and when she pulled away, she almost broke his arm. They both gasped at her strength that night. Time for breakfast. Marty squeezed her shoulder, leading her downstairs. When we're done, I'm going to town to pick up some groceries and get a part for the tractor. She nodded, but said nothing. Silence permeated the kitchen as they ate. Well, silence and the smell of bacon and eggs. If Sophie had made breakfast, she would have made grits, too. Marty could never make grits. It tasted so nasty, salty, and lumpy when he cooked it. She looked down at her plate. What did you mean last night when you said I should have listened to you? Marty looked up at her. You were spending way too much time with that assistant pastor at church. Who, Barry? You told me to stay away from him, and I told you that you were just jealous. Well, I didn't like him. Didn't trust you with him. He was a weirdo. What do you mean? She asked calmly. Well, he seduced a few of the women at church. <laughs> Rumors. Well, the elders believed it, and they fired him for it, too. Marty shoved a piece of bacon in his mouth. The senior pastor called him a monster. So, is that why you're keeping me hostage? For being friends with someone who wasn't perfect? That's part of it. I think you're making up some relationship that never existed between me and Barry, Sophie said. Her face felt hot and her mouth dry. Marty sighed. Barry started a new church, a cult, really, and most of his followers are women. Some even left their husbands to follow him. Really? Well, that's just awful, but it doesn't have anything to do with me. All the women that he came into contact with started acting bewitched, is what Pastor called it. <laughs> Not me, Sophie insisted. That's when you started having problems, honey. Marty got up from the table. 
In any case, you can't be trusted with no one but me. Placing their plates in the sink, Marty looked over his shoulder. Time to go back in the room. He reached for her arm and she moved back, away from his grip. Come here, he said, scowling. I don't have time for this. Marty lunged at her and she pushed him. He stumbled backward and tried to regain his footing, but instead fell on the floor, hitting his head on the corner of the wooden table, stunning him for a moment. And now was as good a time as any. Sophie sprinted out the back door. She didn't think she could since she'd been cooped up in the house for so long, even though she exercised in the room every day. Before her imprisonment, she ran every morning and went to the gym three times a week. She believed in keeping up her health. She was now grateful she had. The clothesline greeted her as soon as she made it outside. The old wooden post and rope still looked good. She hadn't used it in years, not since the new washer and dryer. No time to saddle up a horse from the stable. Now that she thought about it, everything looked good. The verdant grass and mighty oak trees made her feel alive again. Squirrels darted up the branches as she approached and cardinals flew from tree to tree. The heat from the sunlight caressed her bare arms. The smell of fresh cut grass wafted through her senses. One part of her wanted to continue reeling in the freedom of the outdoors, but the more rational part snapped her back into reality and she focused on escape. Bolting for the main road, she considered what her next move would be. Leaving the road wasn't an option since the cornfields were so thick and not made for running. Could she run the three miles to the baker's farm? With her conditioning, she thought she could, but would she be able to outrun Marty and his truck? Adrenaline would make her run faster, but... Not that fast. Relief set in when she didn't hear the roar of an engine. Her feet skimmed over rocks and leaves. Good thing he put out jeans and sneakers for her outfit that day. Trying not to overthink too many scenarios, she wondered what she would do if the bakers were gone. She'd have to break in and call Sally. They'd understand after everything came out. The roar of Marty's engine disrupted her thoughts. Would he run her over? If he did... It would be better than having to be prisoner in her own home. Tires screeched behind her and exhaust made her choke. Escape would not come this day, but she continued running anyway. Dust surrounded her and Marty hopped out of the truck and caught up with her. His sturdy grip snatched her arm and she fell on her knees, rocks scraping the skin on her palms as she caught herself. In a last desperate attempt, she chomped into his hand. He yelped in pain and threw some liquid across the side of her face. It didn't hurt at first, then burning and waves of pain followed seconds later, sizzling her skin like the bacon she had eaten minutes before. No other liquid she knew of could hurt like that, except for acid. As her heart raced and her eyes fluttered, blackness filled her vision, and right before she lost consciousness, she heard a sibilant cry escape from between her half-closed lips as she collapsed. Sophia woke on the bed with a large bandage on the left side of her face, too close to her eye. Good thing the acid hadn't burned it. The bandage felt bulky and the smell of burned flesh made her gag, but she managed not to vomit because she couldn't take the smell of that either. Some alcohol had been rubbed on her skinned up palms. Marty was sure to make escape even more impossible. He had already installed shatterproof glass before he set her up in the bedroom. Two vents sat on the floor on either side of the bed. The third one was in the bathroom. When her imprisonment began, the vents gave her hope of getting help because the sound could travel both ways. The door swung open and Marty grabbed at her while she sat on the bed. 
Wait, Marty, don't, Sophie pleaded. He pushed her down and pressed his weight against her while he held her hands together with one of his. Too tired from the day's events to bother struggling, Sophie let him put a large piece of duct tape over her mouth. He pulled a pair of handcuffs out of his front pocket, pulled her up off the bed, and shackled her hands behind her back. He said nothing as he left the room. A visitor had to be downstairs. He followed these same measures whenever he had company. Sophie got down on her knees, sat on the floor, and scooted her butt over to the nearest vent. She overheard voices downstairs, Marty and James Mack. She pressed the unscathed side of her face to the vent and set her ear against it tightly. You can't keep her locked up in that room forever, Marty, James shouted. You burned her. Sophie had never heard James raise his voice in all the years she'd known him. At first, she thought it may have just been appearances with him being a deacon of the church and all, but he remained the same all the time. The man never got upset about anything. Except now. I didn't burn her. I would never do nothing to hurt Sophie. She tried to get away. Marty tried to whisper, but he'd never been good at it. It's for her own good. I can't let her go nowhere, not now. People will start to ask questions. Let them ask. They need to go mind their goddamn business anyway. Footsteps padded across the kitchen floor and the back door creaked open. James drew in a massive breath inside. Things have gone too far. You need help. I have someone I want you to meet. Don't think so. Well, call me if you change your mind. And the door closed shut. Curses and crashes broke the silence in the seconds following. Several glass objects were smashed all over the kitchen. Sophie huddled in the corner and wept. Marty unlocked the bevy of latches on the door, carrying a dinner tray. Resignation sunk in. Sophie knew she would probably not be able to eat at the kitchen table for the foreseeable future. Marty freed her hands and gently removed the duct tape. What did James Mack want? Sophie's voice wavered more than she would have liked. Nothing. Nothing you need to worry about. Marty averted his eyes. Something else he was never good at. Lying. I heard him, Sophie said. Her chest and chin pushed out in defiance. He said you needed help, Marty. And you do, too. Her bottom lip quivered. What's wrong with you? Let me go. You don't have to hold me hostage. I love you. Marty shook his head. I love you, too. And that's why it's got to be this way. You have no idea the situation we're in. Sophie grabbed his forearm and laughed in derision despite the dire situation. Situation we're in? Last I looked, I'm the one locked in this room 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Warm drool spilled down her chin. Anger crept its way through her hot skin. Her heart beat rapidly and she could hear the blood pumping deep within her ears. You have obviously had some sort of break with reality and I'm the one paying the price, Marty. For the love of God, get some help. Her husband's eyes grew large and he backed away from her, breaking her grip on his arm. I can't do what you asked, Sophie. Why not? Lately, when when you get angry, you... His eyes were wearier than ever. You don't remember, do you? Remember what? Rubbing his temples, Marty sighed. About two months ago, you flipped out and came after me with a butcher knife. 
James and a few other church members told me to take you to the mental hospital and have you looked after until you got better. They said you might have had a breakdown of some sort. And I haven't been back to church since. That's a lie. It's not true. I would never hurt you or anyone else. She backpedaled away from him. It's just your excuse for keeping me a prisoner here. I wish it wasn't true, he said, closing the door on her and locking it. Shaking, Sophie leaned back against the bedroom door and slid down in a heap on the floor. She'd never experienced such helplessness in her life. The next morning brought the one glimmer of hope she had left. She awoke to her daughter's voice coming from the living room. Sophie tried to scream but realized her hands were bound and her mouth was taped. If she couldn't get free, then death would be a welcome friend at this point. Daddy, I want to see Mama now, Sally shouted, half scream, half cry. You can't, Marty reasoned. Not now, she's lying down. I, I gave her something to help her sleep, he lied. Well, when then? It's been three weeks. What have you done to her? I'm, I'm doing the best I can, darling. She hasn't been up to seeing nobody. Oh, really? Well, Mama should be seen by her doctor, not trapped in the house like some animal. You don't understand. I understand perfectly, Daddy, Sally said in a voice Sophie recognized all too well. The one that said she would not take no for an answer, not even from her father. I have let you get away with not letting me see her after she attacked you. And since I didn't want her to be thrown in some psych ward, I've agreed to it until now. I'm giving you until the morning to get Mama over to see Dr. Bradshaw. Kings jingled. If not, I'm coming back with the sheriff. The door slammed shut. So Marty was telling the truth. He called someone after Sally left. James, I'd like to meet that friend of yours. A pause. I can be over there in 15 minutes. Her sense of hearing had been the one thing Sophie relied on lately. It improved since she had no television, books, or magazines to keep her busy. Marty's old truck cranked up and sputtered out of the driveway. Marty would never allow her to see her doctor. He'd take her out of the house before Sally and the sheriff had time to come rescue her. Maybe he'd kill her. She didn't know anymore. Without any hope left in her body, Sophie padded into the bathroom and dug out the old razor she'd wedged between a crack inside the mirror cabinet. She'd found it one day on the floor behind the toilet while she listened in on one of Marty's conversations. She broke the razor out of its plastic casing and sliced it into her veins. Blood spurted onto the white tiled floor. Marty wouldn't be happy since he just tiled it before the room became her prison. Sophie lost more blood than she realized. She didn't really want to die. Her head swam and her temples throbbed. She couldn't keep her eyes open. Bolts opened and shouts poured into the room. Sophie, no! Marty screamed, then wept. Pointless to be so concerned now. Tear those sheets so we can stop the bleeding, another man yelled. We have time. A hospital can wait. James Mack spoke this time. God help us. Hazy from blood loss, Sophie felt hands lift her onto the bed she slept on as of late. Her vision began to clear, but was still a bit bleary. Take these ropes, the stranger spoke again. What do I need to do with these, Marty sniffled. You know what to do, the man spat. Coarse rope cut into her wrists and her ankles. She felt as if she were being drawn and quartered. 
Her struggles made the ropes dig deeper into her skin. Stop struggling, the strange man said. Marty whimpered. Sophie, please. Sophie bucked, not knowing what would happen to her. A psychiatric ward wasn't where she needed to be, even if the accusations against her were true. What now? James asked. All three of us must work together as we discussed, the stranger demanded. Bucking like a wild stallion, Sophie screamed and begged to be set free, but her request fell on deaf ears. Surely they would kill her if she didn't get free, and her family would have to bury her while Marty went to prison. All three men began speaking in a language Sophie had heard before. She thought Latin, and they clutched what looked like Bibles and read from their pages. Marty held out a bottle of acid he doused her with when she tried to run away, but she hadn't noticed before that it had a large cross painted on it. He flung it into her face and her skin sizzled and popped once more. And seconds later, the third man, dressed as a priest, pressed a burning hot cross to her forehead. Sophie writhed, wiggled, cursed, and spat foul language she had never used against a living soul in her entire life. Something inside, deep inside, scrambled to be free of her at once. It clawed from somewhere down in her soul. The ripping burned her chest and she howled. Then, she blacked out. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Without the Nightlight Legion, this podcast would not exist. Because of your support, I get to live my dream and help other authors achieve their dreams. Thank you for all that you do. Remember, you too can join the Nightlight Legion by going to patreon.com slash nightlightpod or making a one-time donation at paypal.me slash nightlightpodcast. And as always, if you are unable to contribute financially to the podcast, giving shout outs and reviews on social media or podcasting platforms is always super helpful to us. And we are very thankful for everything that you do for us. Today's narrator is Quinn Alexandra, audio production by Jen Zink. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. Queen Juana I of Castile was sister-in-law to Henry VIII and she refused to be separated from her husband, Philip the Handsome, after his death. Heavily pregnant, she ordered his coffin to be exhumed, and traveled with his remains across Spain, frequently kissing his corpse, including his feet. When her daughter was born, she believed her deceased husband spoke through the child, and kept her close at all times. Juana also refused to allow women to visit the body of her dead husband, and had been known to attack his mistresses in life. She was buried next to her husband after her death 50 years later. But the creepiest part of this whole thing is that she is actually a distant relative of mine. Her father, King Ferdinand II, is something like my 28th great-grandfather, so I'm distantly related to her, but still related. So, fun times. We'll see you next week with another story. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.